Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and the Reopen Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando, Florida Facebook page. Welcome to a brand new episode of Casual Chats. I am Patricia, and I am here with a few special guests. For our returning guests, uh, we have that long-haired creepy guy. Also, um, we have Taylor, a.k.a. Y-Boy. So, welcome back, Taylor. Hello. Great to be back. So, uh, today, I thought to myself, since uh, recently you posted up your newest video on the the latest Scooby-Doo movie, I thought it would be kind of cool to we can look back on the Scooby-Doo franchise as a whole, since the both of you do cover Scooby-Doo on your channel. So, yeah, I'm sure you already probably talked about this before, so why don't you discuss about your history with Scooby-Doo, like your earliest memories? My earliest memories, I would, I would say, I definitely watched a lot of the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You on just rerun on uh, early Teletoon sort of days. Like, usually early in the morning, they would just put it on repeat a lot. And I just, I liked it for its little creepy atmosphere, the goofiness of Scooby and Shaggy and all that. And then my next biggest memory would have to be Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase, which is, was one of my favorite Scooby-Doo movies growing up. Like, I watched that VHS over a hundred times, basically wore it out and everything. Like, looking back on Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase on its own, it's definitely not one of the better Scooby-Doo movies. It's definitely got one of the most simplistic mysteries of all time. I just more liked it for, like, the world that this Scooby game took, took place in, as it's just inside a video game. So that was the much more interesting aspect to it. But that was basically most of my childhood. I liked Scooby-Doo for, for where it could go, because it seemed to not really have any sort of limit to anything. Especially nowadays, we have, like, it teaming up with Kiss, you got the Wild West now, and... Now it's going to be doing a whole CGI thing with Scoob coming up in 2018. Which will be like a whole. Yeah, it's going to be a whole, I think, sort of organization for mystery solvers, I think. Something like that. I see. All right, how are you, Creepy? Um, well, like Taylor, my earliest memory of Scooby-Doo is actually when I, believe it or not, is when I was around one or so. I have a vague memory of being on my uh, older sister's lap. We would sit and watch uh, cartoons together. And for some reason, just the show stood out. You know, it was just something about it just pulled me in. And I really loved it. And... You know, like it's. I think that's one reason why I've stayed connected to it is because it is such an early childhood memory for me. But they would rerun the show when I was little on CBS in the area that I lived in, anyway, on the CBS network, the station for that area. They reran it on the afternoon in like the 
afternoon cartoon block. It was Scooby-Doo, basically. And uh, it stayed that way until, until like, 85 or 86. I think it was 85. It stayed that way until uh, Thundercats became a thing. They would run Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? They would run the Scooby-Doo show, uh, the new Scooby-Doo movies, that sort of thing. Since since they ran the new Scooby-Doo movies, they would split them up into two-parters, you know, since uh, those episodes were hour-long ones. Weirdly enough, uh, an incarnation of Scooby-Doo that I didn't watch when I was young, even though it came out when I would have been the right, you know, like, considered the right age for it, you know, back then, was the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, something I did not find out about until I was in my early 20s. But for some reason, it never aired in the area that I lived in. Not completely because of a lack of interest, but just because, well, there was, it was not, there was nothing really, there were no real major Scooby-Doo, you know, there was no, nothing really big in the franchise until Zombie Island came out. Right. And when Zombie Island came out, that was when I started getting back into it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that story a lot, and I'll discuss more about that later. So my earliest history, uh, when Cartoon Network started forming, around the mid-90s, this was when they had purchased the rights to air the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And that's actually how I first got introduced to it. I started watching A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. I saw Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? I saw the Scooby-Doo show and the new Scooby-Doo movies. I don't think I saw any of the other incarnations. Like, I didn't see the 13 Ghosts, and I didn't see the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy show. So, yeah, those are the only ones that I, rec- I could recall on. And then, I think once, like a long time ago, I mean, I think this was probably maybe Mr. Spim's Cartoon Theater, or Cartoon Network's Cartoon Theater, as it was later called. They actually aired um, Scooby-Doo Goes Hollywood. So I actually saw that as well when I was younger. And uh, yeah, ever since then, I pretty much went on and off with the franchise until eventually uh, Zombie Island came out. And then I started getting fully invested in it again. So yeah, I guess now we can discuss about the series as a whole. I mean, I'm sure that we can go on forever about every single incarnation. But I think that, you know, for the sake of time and sanity, we can be able to just discuss about, like, the main core of the series in itself. So, you know, we have the characters, we have the mystery, we have the monsters, and, you know, just, you know, various incarnations, like the ones that are our favorites and least favorites. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can start off with that. So, uh, let's start off with incarnations. Like, in your opinion, like, uh, you know, especially with Taylor, since he's already covered you know, up to date at this point, what have you found to be your favorite TV incarnations of Scooby-Doo? And which one is your least favorite? Hmm. Think, thinking about it, it would, it would definitely be the most simplest to say the Mystery Incorporated uh, version of Scooby-Doo, as that felt like it was the best mixture of the more uh, spooky, serious tone that I sort of liked from the original series, where everything was like a little bit creepy and all that, but also mixing in with what Scooby-Doo was best at, being goofy as well. It's sort of what I explained in my Shaggy Showdown review. What Scooby-Doo to me has always been, it's just sort of been like the ultimate comedic juxtaposition, taking the creepy situation that you open up on and just throw in a goofy dog and his friends in there to basically turn it on its head. And Mystery Incorporated is just the one that basically showed the most drama, the most character development, and the best juxtaposition there with the comedy spinning on its head. Yeah, the least favorite would have to be something along the lines of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, as you just got Flim Flam and Scrappy-Doo there, the winning duo, <laughs> especially with Flim Flam there. And Daphne didn't really do anything, you know, she was just sort of like, 
just there. And Shaggy and Scooby were just typical Shaggy and Scooby. <laughs> like, there hasn't been really a bad incarnation of Shaggy and Scooby, except for in the sequel to the WWE movie, where they were just awful in that one. They were the most cowardly and selfish in that one that I've ever seen them in. Wow. And that's the, and that's the only sort of example I can see, see them as that, which is really sad. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Creepy? Uh, well, for a long time, my least favorite incarnation was uh, the new Scooby-Doo movies, which was actually the second incarnation of Scooby-Doo after Where Are You. I still, to this day, love uh, Scooby-Doo Where Are You. Um, I haven't seen it extensively. I've still been putting it off. I'm, I'm under the impression that I won't be a huge fan of Shaggy and Scooby-Doo get a clue, you know. But as far as my absolute favorite, like Taylor, for pretty for the same reasons, I love Mystery Incorporated because Mystery Incorporated does what fans and even and even decriers of this franchise have wanted to see done for so long. And also takes a problem with the Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby-Doo and corrects it. the The flaw in the Thirteen Ghosts was that it really didn't change the format of, you know, the Scooby-Doo formula at all. It just flipped it. It went from being always mundane to being always supernatural. So you could still expect the same thing every week. Mystery Incorporated left that level of uncertainty. Was this episode going to involve an actual supernatural occurrence or was it going to involve a Scooby-Doo hoax? You didn't always know. And there would usually be a blend of the two together somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, conceptually, I do agree that Mystery Incorporated is the best one because it was able to take the series' core roots, but at the same time able to make it in a way that can throw in a flowing narrative, character development, and it just made everything more darker. And I think that that was what Scooby-Doo needed for the longest time. And definitely, I do agree that that is the best incarnation. And I don't know, I mean, who knows what happens later on in the future, if we'll ever get another incarnation like that. But I think that what it was able to accomplish, it was able to do it in a way that was very well done. And also another reason, because I grew up with it, I really liked A Pup Named Scooby-Doo as well. And um, I also, uh, you know, like Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? And... uh, yeah, that, I think those three are my favorites. I haven't seen enough What's New Scooby-Doo, though. I know, um, you know, our former colleague from Manic Expression, Brett Club 85 he once said that What's New Scooby-Doo is basically the new generation of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? In which it kind of, like, takes the series back to its roots, make it a little bit more, um, you know, comedic and kind of self-aware of everything that's been going on, but, you know, have that... It follows in the same tropes as what the the previous incarnation did. But, you know, just update a little bit. But, um, yeah, I I haven't seen enough of the show to really state that if, you know, to state my opinion on whether I like it or not. Um, So, yeah, uh, I think as for my least favorite, oh boy. Uh, I remember uh, when I did eventually watch The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo a few years ago at this point... Um, I was kind of more let down because I saw so much potential in it. It was a 
you know, it was similar to Mystery Incorporated. It was a Scooby-Doo TV series that was a, that had a flowing narrative. And, it, it, you know, sure, it had, like, that Monster of the Week thing in which you caught every single ghost that was released from the chest. But, I mean, it, it really could have built up upon it. But, unfortunately, it just... It, it just didn't work. It, it, it At points, it felt like there could have been some good ideas, but it kind of fell flat. And, of course, it didn't really help much that the series was cancelled and it only had a handful of episodes left. Kind of like the same way as I felt about Pirates of the Dark Water, in which I cry every time. But anyway, enough of that. Um, that's for my therapy sessions. So, so, yeah, I would say 13 Ghosts because it was a massive letdown of what could have been. And, um... You know, a lot of people also say, you know, just like you were saying before, Creepy, about that Shaggy and Scooby-Doo get a clue is what many people consider to be either the worst or one of the worst. I still have not even seen being cool Scooby-Doo either, so I have no idea what to say about that. But um, I did see Rowdy's review on, um, you know, what's of uh, be of uh, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo to get a clue, and it, it, doesn't, it didn't look like fun. It did not look yeah. like fun. Yeah, it's really not the sort of fun sort of series. It's definitely not a traditional Scooby Doo series. It's more like if we took the James Bond cartoon and put Shaggy and Scooby in the in the spot of James Bond. Mm. And it's just it's just, it feels a little bit soulless in a way. And Shaggy and Scooby are completely <laughs> written as different characters in a sense. Yeah, also- exactly. I mean, you could have done a cartoon based off of anybody, and it wouldn't have mattered. It just felt really out of place, like. You know, Shaggy and Scooby moving into a mansion because of their rich uncle getting an inheritance and blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, the last time I recall that Shaggy having a rich relative was from Scooby-Doo meets the Boo Brothers. So you're trying to put that into continuity, but then he gave away the money to an orphanage and also it was in the South. What? (laughs) Yeah. Now, in in regards to Boo Brothers, because I've already gave my, I already did a review that my thoughts. But the thing about Boo Brothers is that it really did have good aesthetic, and I don't think I made mention of this in the review. I'll, I'll clear that up, and I'll apologize right now. But Boo Brothers did have good aesthetic. It just also relied too heavily on that aesthetic with uh, on that aesthetic with you know things like. Uh, this the cliche hick sheriff, the um, you know the uh, horny uh, Bayou country girl, and well, pretty much anyone that was trying to talk in whatever the hell that accent was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with you right there. I like I even placed Boo Brothers as the uh, my top ten of worst Scooby Doo movies. Not for like not for the sake that it's like the one of the worst movies out there, but it's just sort of like interestingly bad. It's just got it's got so much go going with all the story elements and such, and it has that good aesthetic, but it just sort of all falls apart in the end. I only put it at number ten because what do I else place on there? All the dull Scooby Doo movies that basically disappear from your brain as soon as you watch them. Right. <laughs> Yes, sir. I do have I do have a good Scooby Doo story story regarding a Scooby Doo movie, but I'll save that for later. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm just going ahead and getting that out there right now. <laughs> sure. So I guess that's really pretty much we can talk about 
um, you know, our favorite incarnations. I guess we can talk about, like, what are our favorite characters, both from the main core line and some of our favorite monsters. Because I think that with with Scooby-Doo, there are hundreds upon hundreds of monsters and bad guys in the series that we can just all discuss about. And, yeah, I want to know who some of your favorites are. So go ahead, Taylor. Uh, I'm trying to remember, just from the original lineup, I'd say that, like, me and Nero have discussed it a few times. And one of his favorite ones and one of my favorite ones is Charlie the Robot. As he was, like, one of the only, like, real monsters from the original series. And he was such, like, a creepy character. Because he was just a blank-faced robot that would chase after you in the theme park. So that would just make him make him completely scary. All the other monsters are definitely creepy in their own rights and definitely stick in mind. It's when we went into the future series that it went more for, like, the goofy monsters. Like, the one episode that I really remember is when it was, like, ghostly George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and another president were chasing after the game. And I was just like, no. No, this is just too goofy for even for Scooby-Doo, and I'm just lo- losing the creep factor of it. When it comes to movies, in fact... Uh, it's weird of me to say, but the one monster that really pops into my mind is the ghost bear from WrestleMania Mystery. I just... <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah it, is, yeah, it is such a great aesthetic to it. Just a bright red bear that would just smash anything to pieces. And he was an actual destructive monster, which is pretty surprising. Like, it was one of the main wrestlers, The Miz, as he just gets his ass beaten by the ghost bear. He actually gets physically hurt of a hurt by him, like, scratched across the face, his arm busted. Like, it's an actual threatening monster, which is really cool. And it works with the whole wrestling, wrestling theme, because, you know, bear wrestling and all that. So yeah, be- exactly. I- so, next time, WrestleMania should have The Miz and, I don't know, some other wrestler versus that bear and Zangief from Street Fighter. <laughs> I will yeah, actually works. pay to see that. <laughs> yeah, but actually, WrestleMania Mystery is one of the one of the movies that a lot of people do do not seem to like. That and the Kiss one, because I guess it, it because they have such a it has such a stigma to it because of like oh cheap crossover. Look at this, you got Kiss. Oh look, where do the like are they just shilling out money now? Oh, those guys are sad. <laughs> but, I, but I think definitely with the Scooby-Doo ones they've had a long history doing all these crossovers and they do actually do a lot with each crossover in a fun creative way none of the Wrestlemania sequel though because that was just awful mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it's definitely the most interesting when it comes to crossovers Scooby-Doo does because it has such an expansive world to do it in yeah that's I, I have yet to see any of the, um, the Wrestlemania or Kiss movie so I'll definitely need to check it out at some point yeah definitely watch the first one first one and not you can skip the second one it's sure. just yeah they're not even wrestling in the, in the second one half the time that's the only thing that was interesting in the first one okay alright uh, how about you Creepy well okay um, there are the you know the classic ones for some reason the creeper stands out of my mind as far as where are you uh the creeper from jeepers it's the creeper that's one of my but, favorites um, that's one of my favorites too right it, who actually well not directly well it had a cameo but you know was tied into a couple of episodes of mystery incorporated as well but um i actually remember as far as being genuinely creepy I actually remember uh, the Wax Phantom from the very last uh, Scooby-Doo Where Are You episode, which title I 
think I have somewhere, um, but I don't remember right off the top of my head. Um, don't fool with the Phantom. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, the Wax Phantom, I remember, was creepy because of that weird noise he made. Uh, it was sort of like a mo- it was like a moan mixed with someone having an asthma attack, which doesn't sound scary the way I'm describing it, obviously. But you know, hearing it and seeing this big hulking blobish, you know, thing, you know, thing that glows in the dark was, you know, like is still creepy, a little bit creepy to me as a as a grown up man, but. Um, I will say that the scariest monster, bar none, the the scariest bad guy in a mask that the show ever did was the ghost of Dr. Coffin from an episode of the Scooby-Doo show called Harem Scarum Sanitarum. It takes place in in an insane asylum. Yes, there is an episode of Scooby-Doo that takes place in a crazy house. (laughs) And with a mad doctor doing mind control experiments and, like, just having this really effective villain laugh, hyena laugh, and... I don't know. It was just, and it take you know, like it has a lot of the classic, you know, aesthetic. There's a thunderstorm. It's out in the middle of nowhere, you know, uh, following a car that somehow manages to vanish on you, and all this other stuff. And I just, I always felt like this episode was put together really well, and it managed, it managed to be scary a little bit, actually, to me at least, and I liked that. I like that too. It's kind of interesting because you wouldn't expect that Scooby Doo would take that into a wouldn't take a concept like that and turn it into a somewhat frightening corner. And mm-hmm. you know now you know speaking about like in, you know going to an and you know an insane asylum, I want the next Scooby Doo game to be like that. So yeah. you know yeah. and you know Batman take a break of Arkham. Let's have the Scooby character Scooby Doo characters go into the insane asylum. Yeah, I mean, well, asylums to me in general are very scary. Yeah. You know, um, they, I, I haven't covered it yet on my channel, but the second season of American Story uh, Asylum was actually really, really good and very effective at being terrifying, you know, because, to me at least, because I find asylums and just the idea of being committed to be frightening. That's that's very scary to me. So Scooby, a Scooby-Doo episode that took place in an asylum is creepy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, there's so many that I can think of. Um, obviously, you know, the Creeper is one of my favorites. Uh, the Witch Doctor is also one of my favorites, too. Because, I remember that one. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you, I mean, who'd expect, I mean, sure, maybe it's not PC by today's standards, but, you know, I thought that, you know, a Witch Doctor, I mean, imagine that. I mean, if it can do something like crazy voodoo on you, that'd be kind of frightening. And yeah, also, um, you know, and for silliness sake... I just love the fact that in the Scooby-Doo show, I mean, not the, yeah, um, no, the new Scooby-Doo movies, they had Batman uh, and Robin, and then they had the Penguin <laughs> and the Joker as villains, and then Batman mm-hmm. and Robin came in in a few episodes. It's like, that's just amazing. And, and also from a pup named Scooby-Doo, there's a lot of villains I can think of, like, you know, there's that, there's that slime monster, there's Al Cabone, there's, um... The babysitter from Beyond, and yeah, there's just so many of them. And that was actually a really good episode in general from a pup named Scooby Doo, the babysitter from Beyond. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there's 
I mean, and also, uh, let's see what I can think of anything else. Um, I, I'm sure we'll talk about the movie's m monsters in a minute, but yeah, I mean, just... Uh, it, it's funny because, you know, sure, there's been a lot of, like, really goofy monsters, but then they're able to mix in some really cool monsters that really stick out in people's memory. And, you know, whether... You know, they, and so of course, a lot of them do come back in, you know, other incarnations, some of them more effective than others, but they're still remembered for a reason. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for the monsters. So out of the, the gang members, uh, you know, who's your favorite? Uh, a little bit of a coin flip. I don't want to just go like the obvious answer, just say Shaggy is Scooby, because that's mostly everyone's favorite characters, because they are the most dynamic out of the bunch. That they're all just cap, they're both just cowards, but are also very brave, just always going headlong into danger and basically to save the day. Like Luigi but from my, Mario Brothers. Yeah, exactly. And there's a, it's a little bit of a detriment to the other characters, as they, as in the beginning, they weren't given such dynamic roles. We had Velma, who was just the solver of the day, Daphne, who just pointed out clues, and Fred was just the one, well, we've got to split up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now it's at the beginning. But then Fred late, later got got to be a little bit more dynamic. He got like in Big Cool Scooby Doo. He got to be sort of that the, the snarky trap master. Vel Velma was definitely the most snarkiest in that in that part. Actually, Velma altogether became so much more snarky in past two thousand and five movies. <laughs> so I would say Velma is my, my most favorite character. She's definitely the one that's basically changed out of the whole gang the most rather than Daphne who went to, through the whole girl power phase and what's new Scooby-Doo <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you creepy Velma hands down <laughs> <laughs> I will admit you know as a kid I did like Shaggy and Scooby quite a bit but honestly just Velma is my favorite it is you know my character on that show you know I and the thing about it is here's the weird thing to me personally about the character of Velma. Like, I mean, you know, you have Daphne who is aesthetically drawn to be, you know, like, well, really then, you know, like then in the late 60s, in the late, late, late 60s and now, you know, drawn to be uh, aesthetically, you know, the one you're supposed to like, the one you're supposed to be attracted to. But to me, I was like, I was always a little, I was uh, confused, you know, as I got older, like, what's wrong, what's supposed to really be wrong with Velma? I mean, like, even in, just in terms of looks, like, you know, she's a little on the short side, but that's not really a detriment, and, you know, that that's really highly contestable. She wears glasses, so what? Glasses have become sexy now. Yeah, um, yeah and, like, she has freckles, freckles are cute. I mean, like, the only real thing you... Like, if there is a criticism, I mean, like, yeah, she's, like, a size or two bigger than Daphne, but Daphne is, like, pixie then anyway. And I'm like, <laughs> there's really nothing at all unattractive about Velma, period. I mean, and, you know, like, there's a big question of how the hell did they let her in wearing a skirt that short? Like, her skirt is shorter than Daphne's is. <laughs> that's, that's like some Sailor Moon right there i was just gonna say that absolutely 
Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if anyone has noticed this, but this is like, this is 69, and they got this show on the air by drawing that girl's skirt that short. And I'm just, and like, and now I just laugh about that because I'm like, how? <laughs> was no one noticing? I mean, like, I, I think that thing might be like an inch or two higher than what Sailor Moon wears. <laughs> Oh, yeah. well, I, mean, I mean, at least with Sailor Moon, you can kind of make the argument that, well, in Japan, you know, um, the the length of skir- the girls' skirts are kind of like in a certain way of length because, you know, that's how the Japanese wear their clothes. I mean, they have or, you know, they have uh, different ways of compared to America. And also a lot of people can say the argument that, you know, the shorter skirt means that they can be able to move freely. But Velma's skirt, I mean, she's searching for clues. I mean, what excuse is that? What excuse is this? I'm not complaining, mind you. I'm just wondering, you know, it's like, I mean, you try and wear a skirt like that in school now, you'll be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> And poor Velma, although I feel sorry for anyone who has to share a cell with her because we both know she would win. Mm. Velma is like, Velma is superhumanly strong, okay? I don't care how skinny Shaggy is. He would still weigh, you know, like on average, like 160 pounds probably. So (laughs) she can lift and carry that plus a Great Dane's bulk. And Great Dane's are muscle, you know, like, you know, it's, it's unusual to see a flabby Great Dane. So she can lift like upwards of 200 pounds and run at, at high speed with it. Yeah, okay. You know, she'll just break whoever. <laughs> oh my god you know what i think at this point i think frederator needs to do a theory on how much how much can velma bench press at this point <laughs> yeah i mean like velma is superhuman okay i think velma is like you know those eugenics theories about certain dna pairs combining to form like an ideal human i think velma might be one because think about this she is physically attractive no matter you know how how the impression we're given by the show no matter how much she is very very attractive okay she's that she's incredibly intelligent she's observant because you know she is able to break down and process complex things like, you know, a mystery, how mysteries function and so, and so forth. And she is incredibly strong and fast. Okay. She's like the freaking bionic woman without any sort of implants or upgrades. Uh. And this is why the character is awesome. Uh. (laughs) I really don't, I really don't have a, a character I dislike though. You know, I mean, like, in the old, Fred is sort of the the MacGyver of the group. You know, he's built like a jock, but he's really more, you know, the he's really more, you know, the engineering mind of the group. He comes up with these Rube Goldberg traps on the fly, you know, so he's more of a nerd than Shaggy is. Shaggy was actually more the jock. He was... I remember in the old show, he was a gymnast, was on the track team and so forth. So, and his personality fits a jock better. Yeah, I definitely. You know, I, I guess yeah. it kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit of Sakaki from Azumanga Daio, in which she's a natural athlete, but she's she's not interested in joining any sports groups. So maybe mm-hmm. you know that maybe it's kind of like that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a likable jock. He's a jock in the sense that he's on. Uh, a couple of sports teams, but he in, re- in outside of that, he's more a hobbyist. You know, he picks up, 
you know, little oddball interests until he loses interest in them. Because in the old show, he could throw his voice. He was into ventriloquism. He knew how puppetry marionettes worked a little bit. He played the xylophone. So, you know, just little odds and ends he was studying until he got bored with them and moved on to something else. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about it is I feel like all these character traits get lost as some of the later incarnations went on. Daphne is admittedly the character who needed the most... Uh, retooling though i do like that they made her more of an action girl and having a little bit more of an interest in the occult you know being sort of like the molder of the group so you know but uh hands down velma is my favorite yeah um it's kind of funny because velma's my favorite too but i actually have a different reason i have i actually have a story about this so you know, because, you know, because Scooby-Doo was being aired on Cartoon Network at the time, and because I was always a good student in my school, I was always teased a lot. And I was always called, like, this nerdy girl, and I kind of felt ashamed by it. And, it, and it's funny because, like, I don't remember what age I was. I probably was, like, around 15 or 16 years old. My my family and I, we went to go meet up with, like, a, a distant relative who we've never met before and then there was like this little girl who was like acting really obnoxious and she basically just said you know i kind of see you guys as like the gang members of scooby-doo she told this to me and my cousins and then she's like i see you as velma and i'm like um okay and granted this was like at the point in which i was like i mean i don't know whether i should take it as an insult or as a compliment because, you know, she sounded really conceited. But now I kind of take it as a compliment because I've, you know, I mean, she's always been, like, my favorite character. But, you know, back then it was kind of like, you know, they called it that as a, as a way of insulting me. Yeah. But, yeah, now looking back on it, I, I kind of see of it as like, yeah, I guess I do kind of see myself as that. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I mean, as you know, similar to you guys as a kid, my favorites were always Shaggy and Scooby. But then as time went on, my tastes have changed and... Now I kind of see more of myself as Velma than anything else. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess that's pretty much it with the characters. So I guess now we can... F- awesome, by the way. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And I guess now now that we're done with uh, the, the characters, well, I guess we can now start talking about the movies. And there's so many movies. I mean, it's like there's a movie left and right. I can't even catch up with it anymore. And they're still going <laughs> at it. So... Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I guess we can start talking about what have been our favorites and least favorite movies. So, go ahead, Taylor. <laughs> well, I definitely already made my list and listing my top ten, even top ten worst. Definitely the most worst movie in my mind is still Scooby-Doo uh, Monsters Unleashed. That's basically everything that I said about juxtaposition flipped on its head and just destroyed as it took every one of the cool monsters from Where Are You because it made them into the most childishly cartoonish just simplistic versions that they could have been ruining the sort of fan intrigue that a lot of other people were taking like I talked to many friends and they love Monsters Unleashed compared to the other live action Scooby-Doo movie mm. but it just felt like it was sort of like ripping out the the heart of what a fan fan's love is and basically just putting on displays like here's money give it to us now Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like forcing in nostalgia to make it feel familiar, but is nothing but pandering. It's like, hey, you remember that character? Ah, ah, we, we listen to you. Do you like us now? Ah, it's like, yeah, that's uh... exactly it. Yeah, it's just it's such a disgusting feeling. Not to mention the mystery, which is was just sort of like 
okay, it's there. It's got like A, B, C, and, and that's it to the mystery. <laughs> I'll, I'll say the one good thing is probably this, just that it has at least the bare bones of a mystery, not like a lot of the other movies I've reviewed, which are just freaking awful. I'll say the worst mystery I've seen so far is definitely now in, in Screen of Shaggy's Showdown, oh, which is God. basically, here are the clues to, to figure out the suspect. You can first get some luminol paint, which anyone could grab. You can get this cowboy costume, which anyone can have. The horses, which anyone can get. You can get someone stole the the book of the sheriff, which anyone could have broken into. So, who do you think the suspect is, if anyone could have grabbed anything? Hmm. And basically, the one clue to basically solve everything, to prove that the main guy did it, was that he used the same font on it, on his website that he did to the card of, uh, of the Black Rattler sort of, like, guy that starts trying to buy the whole town. Oh, my Use the same font. That's the only clue that the movie gives us that says that the main bad guy did it. Okay, so apparently the font was the same font that is used in Huckleberry Hound. El Cabong font. (laughs) I'm surprised that there was nobody getting hit by guitars in the end of the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, my yeah, Nero was pointing out that reference, and I'm just like, oh, well, that's a nice reference, and also... (laughs) Like it doesn't it doesn't help anything else. Oh good, it's a reference. It's also a terrible plot point in all this. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, seriously, font was one of the major plot points in a Scooby Doo movie. Font. Next thing you're gonna tell me, oh, um, aliens are approaching. Oh, um, the billboard is gonna be the one to lead into the clue. Ooh. We need to solve the mystery, but we need to get back to the scene of the crime where this billboard has, like, these numbers, and it's going to point out to some combinations. Ooh, it's like, what? It's weird. That sort of reminds me of Monster of Mexico now, where the bad guy was just on the billboard. Yeah. And that's the only spot where you would have saw him. Exactly, that's what I was just referencing. <laughs> <laughs> Like that is the, the that's the moments where it's the worst Scooby-Doo, where the mystery is not even complete. It's just done. It's like, well, we got all the beats to it. Let's just show it to kids because it's a kid's mystery. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah. But it's not even complete for kids. Mm. Which is which is so insulting. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, geez, it's so sad. But yeah, I highly recommend that you guys go check out Taylor's best and worst Scooby-Doo movies to find out more details. All right, Creepy, how your turn? Oh, well, okay. Like, in the cases of a lot of the early, like, well, in the, you know, 2000 Scooby movies, there are some decent ones and there are some really bad ones. But I have to stand by with what I still consider to this day to be the worst Scooby-Doo movie, and that is... The 2002 live-action film. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that movie so much. Like, I really do. Oh. I mean, like... Okay, and I will admit that they did try to get a few things right. You know, I did, like... You know, Daphne trying to assert herself and get over past her damsel in distress, you know, uh, you know, 
the you know it, it stop it from taking over her life and being seen as the only thing she is. I liked that. That was good. Um, you know, the actress who played Velma in the movie did a good job. You know, I, I not not the best Velma, but you know, by no means terrible in any sense. But okay, what just one in a long list of things is that is wrong with this movie is Fred is just insufferable. Oh, like, yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah, I, I hate that. Yeah. You know? yeah, and I can't even place the blame on Freddie Prince Jr. for this. He's just written as a terrible character all over. But the thing that really bugs me about the movie the most is if, if you break down the plot and really look at it, the live-action movie of 2002 is basically almost a complete ripoff of Zombie Island. Oh yeah, I that's right. That yes, 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 absolutely. It is just almost word for word Zombie Island rehashed. You know, um, uh, it opens on a Scooby Doo plot. You know, where they where the gang gets chased by a monster. That happened in that happens in Zombie Island and the live action movie. The gang split is revealed to have split up. Same thing. Um, they get back together. Same thing. Uh, they go to an island. Same thing. Um, the island is revealed to be haunted. Same thing. The uh, the super the events are actually supernatural instead of uh, you know just a hoax with a guy in a mask. Same thing. You know, just like the one thing that is different about uh, the live action movie, uh, you know, in you know compared to Zombie Island is uh, the who the main antagonist re- is revealed to be at the end, which is just. <sighs> Okay, I, I, I said this in my Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo review, the review of the show altogether, but the problems that people attribute to Scrappy now were really nothing that had to do with Scrappy himself. It had to do with decisions that were made behind the scenes in regards to the show. If the character had been allowed to be his own character instead of taking over roles you know, that other characters had occupied before... That would have been fine. That would have been good, even. What they do at the end of the live-action movie just feels kind of... Well, it feels insulting. And I say this as someone who recognizes that the character has problems. You know, that this is... You know, that this is problematic, but this has more to do with conception and creation and how the character was handled and decisions that were made regarding the show. You know, not just the character himself. Mm-hmm trying to make it so simplified and doing it the way that they did in the end, it feels rude, it feels tacky, and it's just in poor, done in poor taste. You know? and, yeah. I real, and yes, I realize I'm, I'm talking about a live-action movie that was based off of an old cartoon show, but it still felt, you know, like, okay, yeah, this was just the last nail in the coffin. I guess that's why I honestly don't hate Miss, uh, Monsters Unleashed as much as I hate the first live-action movie. <laughs> like, I'm not saying Monsters Unleashed is a good movie, you know, or, or even a good Scooby movie, uh, but I will say that if I had, like, if you sat me down in a room and told me I had a choice between two movies to watch. Like, the only movies to watch within a 100-mile radius, and there's no Netflix or anything else. And those two movies were Scooby-Doo, the live-action Scooby-Doo, or Monsters Unleashed. Chances are I would pick Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> yeah. Monsters Unleashed is a whole other 
slew of problems, but I did actually feel like it was less awful compared to the first one. Mm-hmm. I no, guess I hate, I personally hate both of them, so I'm... <laughs> yeah, you know, okay, yeah. I didn't feel as much rage-filled after, I, you know, watching the first live-action movie. Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't feel as much rage watching Monsters Unleashed as I did the first live-action movie. I was more just a little bored and disappointed. Sure. Yeah. <sighs> oh my god. Like, yeah, I, I would. I mean, the live action movie was just like a killer for me when I first saw it. Uh, it was like, hey, you know, this. I mean, this was kind of like at the point in which. Let's see. There was like a lot of live action movies based off of cartoons. We had. Um, let me see. We had The Flintstones, which was another Hanna Barbera cartoon that turned live action that sucked. And uh, let's see what else. I don't. I mean, we. I don't think we had anything else live action. I mean, there was the Jetsons movie, but that was in the '80s, and that was a, a completely different thing. And mm. as for anything else, I mean, I can't really recall on. But yeah, I mean, I was hoping that maybe it would be, you know, somewhat decent because this was when I remember that Scooby Doo was starting to become more relevant again. And then when it came out, it pretty much was like a massive letdown for me. Everything about it was just so awful. Like, the, the portrayal of Fred, the fact that it was a rehash of Zombie Island. I mean, even I knew that when I first saw the movie. And the, the annoying fart jokes and the, the mystery. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. 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 Lost the happy. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And also, um, you know, just... It, it, I mean, I don't know. The, the characters and the tone just didn't feel like it's Scooby-Doo. I mean... I, I kind of felt, it, it felt sort of like the person who was involved with it just didn't really like Scooby-Doo, and then they just wanted to kind of, like, spoof on it, but not spoof on it in a way that's, like, a tribute, but kind of, like, a way in which it was, like, I didn't like it, and so I'm just going to be able to make a mean-spirited version of it. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm very conflicted. It's like, it could have yeah. been good, but they, there were just so many things that they did to it that was just completely wrong. And it's I just... know, Patricia, you know, you're exactly right on it. The writer James Gunn was basically, <laughs> he did not want to write the Scooby-Doo thing. He was just contractually obligated to write it. Yeah, but so, so what? Exactly I mean, right. so what? J.J. Abrams wanted to do more Star Wars than Star Trek, but at least in the Star Trek movie, at least the first one, it was good. At least my opinion. Yeah. I know a lot of people hate it, but still, I mean, at least it was decent. Oh, yeah, I know. It's just that James Gunn did not really, really care for the, for the two movies and just wrote them to get the paycheck at the end of it. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I know, but still, I mean, it just, I mean, you know, you definitely feel the hatred and the money grabbing, and, I mean, what what is that going to accomplish? I mean, sure, it's going to accomplish you a lot of money, but it's going to be, it's going to accomplish something soulless and uninspired and just absolutely hateful for the franchise, so... There you go, James Gunn. No matter how good Guardians of the Galaxy 2 turns out, I will still hate you for Scooby-Doo. There you yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's enough of that. Anyway. Oh, oh, one other thing if I could uh, throw in. From what I've been able to read online from my research, um, the original script was, like, even worse. It was going to be a full-blown parody like the Brady Bunch movies. You well, know, at least the Brady Bunch no, movie. My- at least the Brady Bunch movie was good, and, and the Brady Bunch movie was able to parody it. But it was in a way that it was kind of like spoofing Brady Bunch, but it was fun. But yeah, oh, and Velma and Daphne were in a secret lesbian relationship. Of course yeah. they were. Of course they <laughs> yeah. were. 
Yeah, and that's why you have sort of references to Pod off stream throughout the first movie. That's just uh, that's just little tidbits left from the old script, like yeah. Mary Jane. Alice oh, James, yeah. we were were smoking pot in the Mystery Machine at the very beginning of the movie, but actually cooking burgers. Yeah, right. You might as well just so, add in that little dance music sequence in that Kevin Smith movie. Um, what's it called? Um, I, I don't remember, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. That little sequ- that little um, sequence, and it was like a kind of like a music video in which, you know, the characters of Scooby Doo are in the Mystery Machine. They're kind of like dancing, and Velma uh, and Daphne are in their bras or something. So yeah, that thing. <laughs> I don't remember where that when, when movie that that's from, but might as well throw in that. <laughs> right. Oh man, but if the movie would have turned out worse, then maybe I'm somewhat glad that we have the version, but not really. <laughs> really it's it's not as bad as it could have been but it's really terrible oh yeah <laughs> yeah and you know it's and everything you said is true it feels like the south park version of scooby-doo it just yeah yeah just jeez, man i mean uh, anyway yeah i, I don't want to talk about this movie anymore so yeah, let's let's move on to something good. I'm sure that you guys already know about this little fact about Zombie Island. For, but for those who don't, Zombie Island was originally supposed to be pitched as a Swat Cats episode before the show was canceled. And so they eventually right. worked it into a Scooby-Doo script. And um, the guy who wrote the Scooby-Doo script, is, uh, from what I remember... Um, uh, let me see if I remember his name. But yeah, the guy who worked on it worked on a lot of Hanna-Barbera projects, like the Smurfs and, and stuff like that. Eventually, you know, he went off to write at least all four of the Mook, uh, the movies animated by Mook. Um, and, well, the fourth one he co-written. And then eventually he came along. That was when, um, you know, he was no longer a part of the project. So let me see if I can look up his name just really quick. Let me see. Uh, there we go. Glenn Leopold. Now I remember his name. So yeah. So apparently from what I remember, he was planning on writing that episode of the, the Swat Cats. But then, you know, it was it, uh, because the show was canceled, it was reworked into Zombie Island. And, you know, he basically like took like little bits of elements from the, the canceled episode and did that. So yeah, I mean, it would have been really cool to see what would have that episode of the Swat Cats been, have been like. I mean, because now it's worked into Zombie Island, I guess we're not going to see it in the new incarnation of Swat Cats that was recently kickstarted. So, that's a shame. I do have another bit of trivia. It was that same idea was also worked into an episode of uh, John, the new the real adventures of Johnny Quest. Right. Uh, it was right. It was an episode called Eclipse, only it wasn't a, it took place in New Orleans and uh it it did take place like out in the bayou, part of it, you know. But uh, it wasn't a bunch of cat people. It was a woman who was actually a demon in disguise and could take like her true form was like some kind of bat creature. Yeah, it was also written by the same guy. But yeah, you can definitely see that the same elements were able to be used in multiple Hanna Barbera projects, which is pretty cool, by the way. And. Yeah, I think that, I mean, for a lot of people, they say that Zombie Island was the one that pretty much resurrected the franchise. I mean, we already you already talked about this before, Creepy, that around the 90s, Scooby-Doo was kind of like, you know, you see like little bits of Scooby-Doo here and there, but, not, you know, because of like reruns, but nothing brand new. I mean, I remember when I was like really young, I remember seeing the commercials for Universal Studios and they had like an attraction for Scooby-Doo, but... As for anything brand new, it kind of like lived in perpetual past. But then when Zombie Island came along, it it pretty much just shook up the franchise. And um, you know, it's it's kind of 
interesting that you know something like that w- was able to come out for Scooby Doo in a way that was, in a way, not intentional, but it really helped out the franchise. I mean, it's like one of the few franchises from Hanna-Barbera that's still relevant. I mean, sure, we have the Jetsons with its wrestling movie and the Flintstones with its wrestling movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what's going to be next? Magilla Gorilla in a wrestling movie? <laughs> I actually just watched all of those just a few days ago. Oh, my I'm God. I'm surprised that they have, haven't done that already, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> uh, uh. But Anyway, but yeah, I mean... God, I, I I do not want to see Johnny Quest going to see a Metallica concert. <laughs> but anyway, oh. um, <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh yeah, so just uh, and then of course you know um, the other four movies done by Mook is like it's kind of like like the what many people consider like looking back on the first three Pokemon movies. It's like. They were the ones that pretty much came out in a generation where people were just starting to get into the franchise. And it's the one that really stuck out to them because it took the series in a different direction that made it really unique and stand out. Also, uh, speaking, uh, you mentioned Johnny Quest. I actually sent a uh, tweet to Greg Wiseman once a couple of years ago. I told him that I actually wanted to see him do his uh, take on Johnny Quest one day. And he said it would be a challenge, but he would be interested in trying. So who knows? Yeah. um, I actually um, said on my video on the top 10 Nicktoons any comic book adaptations, I would love for Greg Wiseman to do a different take on Danny Phantom. So, well, I mean, I know Butch Hartman is still interested in Danny Phantom. I mean, he pretty much draws him like every week on his YouTube channel. So... Who knows? I mean, I would like to see a different take on it, and I would love to see Greg Wiseman do it. So, yeah, I mean, Wiseman, hopefully you'll get to the job when you're done with Young Justice. <laughs> let's hope. Yeah, let's hope. All right. Um, so, yeah, you have anything else to say about the movies right before we move on? Uh, the the mo- movies, just one of the ones that I like. I definitely think that nostalgically, the zombie zombie island is definitely up there for definitely all of us. It's definitely the one, like you said, that sparked every other movie henceforth. Just the revitalized the Scooby Doo brand. I'm just I'm just wondering for for everyone here. What about afterwards after the Mook, Mook animation movies? What do you think about those movies afterwards? Like the Alohas, the Chill Outs. The Loch Ness Monster, even Abigail do Camp Scare and such. You know, um, I haven't watched all of them, but the 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 ones that I do remember, like um, the Loch Ness Monster and uh, Aloha Scooby Doo, and um, uh, what was the one where they went over to the mount the mountains and they met with the Yeti? Oh, chill out. Chill out. Thank you. Um, you know, I I think are, uh, those are the three that I did see from the What's New Scooby Doo lineup and. At times, I feel like they're extended episodes of the show, but at other times, I feel that they're pretty good. I mean, sure, not the one, not good, not as uh, good as and more risky than the ones that Mook did, but I felt that they were pretty decent in its own right. And I'm glad that they were able to, you know, just like in every incarnation of Scooby Doo, they were able to kind of like change up the formula, change up the character portrayals, uh, whether you like them or not, and just add something new to it. And, you know, sure, may- maybe you may not like it as compared to the previous or maybe even the next incarnation, but it's always nice to know that they're trying some different things. Yeah, definitely Scooby Doo is definitely the best at experimentation with all of its movies. Like in one of the recent years, they did Moon Monster Madness, basically put, uh, what was it, Rapture in Space, I believe I called it in my review. Mm. That's like one of the biggest projects they ever did, because that was the, the, one of the movies that I would say is the most cinematic of the Scooby Doo movies in, in sound design and, and actual aesthetic design. 
that actually does that does that actually does sound really interesting. Scooby Doo in space. Now I really want to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely try it out. I do. I did like it the most for it. Definitely had one of the most colorful suspect pools around. So that that was fun for me. And definitely the concept Scooby Doo in space is definitely interesting. Mm. It is. They even do this really cool scene where they basically have chickens can be bouncing around on the moon in space and have no sound to it. Just like in real space. Until the chasing happens, then then there's sound again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, of course. Wacky shenanigans. <laughs> you gotta have wacky shenanigans or you won't or the kids won't know when to laugh, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, next thing you know, we'll just have, like, those flashing applause signs that you have in the studio audience saying, laugh now. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I I really need to see that movie because it's the only, it's, um, well, I mean, I haven't caught up with the newer ones in a while, but that one actually sounds pretty interesting to me. Yeah, any others that come into your mind? Uh, Camp Scare was pretty interesting as it put the game into a much more different sort of like dangerous situation where you had the woodsman there and a few of the other monsters in there. But the woodsman, it was actually set up with sort of like a uh, the Friday the 13th character. Uh, Freddy, was it? Uh, No, Jason. Jason, yeah. It's just basically, yeah, it's just basically a Jason clone. And there was actually a scene where the camp counselor running through the woods being chased by this axe-building psychopath until he winds up on on a bridge. It's just like, it's a child version of the Friday the 13th movie, which was so interesting to me because the characters actually put in like actual actual death-defying death situations that weren't super over the top. It was just a crazy guy with an axe coming to get you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another thing that you would probably never think about in Scooby-Doo. I mean, sure, Scooby-Doo deals with, you know, horror and mystery, but, you know, parroting something like Friday the 13th is quite something, I have to say. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then there was Abercrombie where it did a little bit of parodying of Harry Potter in a sense, especially with the giant Griffin monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, those are the main movies that I can really think of from the newer lineup that really just stand out in my mind. Sure, sure. How about you, Creepy? <sighs> well, I'm about to say something that I know is not going to be really popular, but I'm going to say it anyway. I actually really, really, really love the Scooby-Doo and Kiss movie. Oh, I, lo- I love it too. It's it's so much fun. <laughs> it is. It is just hilarious. Like, I, I, I did a review, you know, on the Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park movie from the set from the late 70s, back when Kiss was in its first real heyday. But, um, you know, like... I, I, I was watching this, and I'm like, this is what the live-action Kiss movie should have been. You know, they're rock stars, they have superpowers, and they're superheroes. And then they meet up with Scooby and the gang, and it is just all kinds of hilarious awesome. <laughs> like, there's this whole transformation sequence that is ripped right out of Sailor Moon Crystal. I, I, I kid you not, that is, I, I looked at that, I was like, that is directly out of Sailor Moon Crystal, and I just love the hell out of it. And now um, I need to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like fun all these that. Different notes that Kiss performs, you know, that are basically like, almost like music videos insert into it. But I honestly, I mean, like, you know, normally I would hate this kind of thing because it breaks the narrative flow. But in the context of this movie, it makes sense. 
like uh there's this whole point where they actually i'm giving away spoilers i know but they actually travel to another dimension where everything is powered by rock and roll what? Like all of everything, all the tech, everything is powered by rock and roll. And to get there, uh, Kiss has to sing uh, um, I Was Made for Loving You. Mm. <laughs> you know, and they do this on a giant spaceship guitar. That is awesome. Yes. <laughs> like this whole movie from start to finish is just nothing but awesome. And, um, I actually, the first time I ever watched this movie, Yama, Inganyama70, who voices Jimmy Thulu, um, we were both in Portland together, and he bought this movie for me, and uh, he asked me if I wanted it, and I looked at it, and I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I had not seen it, and I watched it later, and throughout the whole movie, I was like, I was half expecting the movie to suck, but I figured, if nothing else, this will be good for a laugh. You know, but I was like... I have to see this. So I watched it and I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much. Yeah, it's definitely one of the more fun, fun of the latest Scooter movies. I do right. feel though that the crossover aspect was a little bit lackluster though. And to put Kiss into like awesome roles, definitely with the Sailor Moon transformations and all that. But with the Scooby game, they sort of got placed into the supporting role, like really hard. Especially when You're... they put put the whole mystery into the was it real sort of thing. Yeah, that that's <laughs> the one thing about it that did annoy me. You know, it's kind of funny because um, I remember when you were talking, uh, Creepy, about, you know, Scooby-Doo and Arabian Night, and it felt like, you know, these were all these stories that just so happened to have, like, Scooby characters in the sideline. Maybe they wanted to do a Kiss animated movie, but they felt that it wouldn't have more key value for the kitty, so they added Scooby-Doo in. It's a possibility. Yeah, I would, I would guess that as well. That's what me and Nero were discussing when we were watching it, too. It's just like, wow, this is a really good Kiss movie. Scooby characters in the back there don't really fit in this. Yeah. But they are funny together. Definitely the Kiss and the game really have really good back and forth. Like Starchild and Fred's little back and forth when they're trying to swoon Daphne was hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> like Fred takes a picture of Starchild and Jet Daphne together and puts his thumb over Starchild's face. Then Starchild turns around and just paints a picture with, of him and Daphne and paints a thumb over his face. <laughs> that was just it, hilarious. It is hilarious. It really is. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's I, and now I'm more interested in watching it than ever, even though I'm not exactly a huge Kiss fan. So I, I still want to watch it, though. But yeah, it sounds really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes. So yeah, um, I guess I mean if if you don't have anything else to say about the the franchise, I guess we can start wrapping things up. Yeah. So yeah, I mean at this point in time, uh, you know the franchise in a few years from now is going to be fifty years old, and it's just so crazy to me that something is you know like over almost like half a century and it's still going strong. So. I mean, you know, since you guys have been covering Scooby-Doo for this long, why do you think it still has a staying power for many, many generations? I think it's for the this, the fact that I've just been saying. It's such an experimental series, though. Even to the point where your people are just like, oh, God, this is so stupid. WrestleMania and Scooby-Doo, Kiss and Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo in space, oh. 
but in that sort of same mindset, it does intrigue people. It's like, what would it be like to have Scooby-Doo in space? And it just sort of brings people back to it. You see Scooby-Doo doing the Mystery Incorporated as it goes more serious, or Be Cool Scooby-Doo where it goes the more self-aware family guy style of humor to it. It's just always trying to do something new to keep things fresh and new, which is why I feel that it just sticks in people's minds. Just people are just wondering what's going to be next for Scooby-Doo. Uh, what about you, Creepy? It has a lot of staying power because, as weird as this may sound, the characters are relatable. You know, you've got Shaggy, the, you know, food-obsessed, uh, somehow impossibly rail-thin, you know, lovable coward, um, who and, and track star. Uh, Daphne, the, the girly girl and martial artist and, you know, in some incarnations, you know, who has a little bit of a thing with the occult. Velma, the criminologist and and sleuth and forensic scientist you know who, who loves and just you know information in general and fred the you know lovable doofus and dork who's you know a little on the big side but is also you know really 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 into engineering and and you know you you can be a big muscle guy and still have a brain and i do think that speaks to people you know and i think all of these characters people but it was also the very first animated Saturday morning show, at least to my knowledge, that introduced the whodunit formula to young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, because, like- you know, later on, you know, after, like, even in the 90s, like, after Scooby-Doo kind of, like, took a little bit of a, you know, kind of, like, took a little bit of a break and then just relied on its reruns, you know, we had a lot of other, you know, animated or live-action incarnations that had, like, the whodunit mystery scenario. We had Ghost Rider, we had Shelby Woo, and Sherlock Holmes of the 20th, 2nd century. So a, a lot of people <laughs> still have interest in mysteries and stuff like that. I mean... So yeah, there's just an intrigue about learning about like who done it and you know putting together all the clues and stuff like that. And I guess Scooby Doo was the one that popularized it. Right. If, if it didn't, if it wasn't the first show, cartoon show on Saturday mornings that did that, it definitely was the show that popularized it. And I think it's still doing. That. It is still introducing young minds to you know clue solving to to follow to logical thought processes you know mm-hmm. you know and and uh, simple observational skills you know spotting things in the background or in the foreground that are planted in such a way that you may not notice on your first watch but you pick up you know is teaching you to be observant and teaching you to be intelligent you know maybe just a little bit i mean maybe this isn't the best example of you know a show that is you know being educated or this kind of stuff but that's kind of what makes it nifty because it's doing it in such a subtle way yeah it is being very very subtle about how it does these things oh absolutely and uh and i think that is something to consider you know and you know i love mysteries i'm still watching uh detective conan after all these years you know not like i'll let uh episodes build up and then binge watch it but i'll still go back to it you know and i find myself going back to to scooby-doo yeah 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 actually same with me (laughs) yeah as for me i mean i think it's a combination of the of what you both said in which 
you know, you can be able to have Scooby-Doo be so versatile in a whole bunch of things. Like, unlike most of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, it doesn't have that versatility. Like, with the Flintstones, I mean, they're always going to be in the Stone Age. It's not like you can take them into, like, outer space or you can, you know, take them over to, like, a, you know, like a camp or anything like that. I mean, they're all, it's, it's basically stuck in, like, the Stone Age, because that's how we familiarize with them. Same thing with the Jetsons, in which, you know, sure, you can have it p take place in the future, but you can only work with kind of, like, that outer space kind of thing. And with, you know, Johnny Quest, in which, you know, it has to be focused on, like, an adventure. You can expand the adventure, but you can't expect Johnny Quest to be, like, oh, Johnny Quest and the gang are in a circus or anything like that. Or, or like, a high school drama where they go to school every day and... And Jesse Bannon is obsessed about whether or not a boy she likes likes her back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, you, you don't have that kind of versatility. And, you know, because of, you know, Scooby-Doo being, you know, the, the gang are essentially teenagers. Like, you know, like mid-teenagers. So you, you can be able to have, it, it can be young enough for them to have, like, be you know, being able to explore the world. But, like you know, old enough for people to kind of look up to as, like, role models. So it appeals to, like, all the audiences. And also because, you know, again, you were saying that the characters are very versatile and you can be able to, you know, tweak their characters around a, a bit. I mean, sure, maybe they may not be the same as what they were previously, but at least they can be able to be worked around in a way that, you know, it's different, but at the same time, it feels very familiar. And I think that because of that, because you know at points they try to do so many things to the franchise that's what make it that's what makes it still fresh in people's minds and you know if it continues on you know until when it reaches the 50 year anniversary i mean in a way out of all the hanna barbera cartoons it kind of deserves it because it was the one that took a lot of risks it's the one that generated so much love and appreciation for all the fans and you know it, it still is reminiscent of like this was how it was back in the day, you know, how cartoons was, but I can still enjoy this and I won't have mm -hmm. to um, worry about like, oh, I need to watch all these versions in order for me to understand this. It's like it's for it, it could be for anybody, no matter what incarnation that you watch. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention another, you know, something related to Scooby-Doo. That's one of my all time favorites. Um, the Johnny Bravo episode is one of my favorites. <laughs> I love that episode. I don't care what anybody says. That Johnny Bravo episode in which it crossed over with the Scooby-Doo gang is one of my favorite episodes. Deal yes. with it. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, I think that the last thing I can talk about is like, I remember listening to this story in a podcast once about a guy who used to dress up in a, um, a Scooby-Doo costume in Universal Studios. And, you know, he it was like, he was finishing his shift for the day, and then um, all of a sudden, one of the, um, the, the you know the um, one of the guys who was in the, one of the costumes wasn't able to make it, and so he dressed up as Scooby Doo during his off time. And so there was this little kid who was like three or four years old, and he approached him and saying like. I waited all day to come see Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo is my favorite. And the the guy was just so touched by that little kid. And it's like, that's just amazing. Because, I mean, for a lot of the younger kids out there, they may think, oh, you know, something as old as like that. And, I mean, how can I relate to that? But no, I think that because it's lasted for this long and because it has so many um, incarnations and versatility, it still can resonate with a lot of people, even still to this day. So that's all I have to say about it. 
All right, I think that should be it for this episode. So yeah, um, guys, why don't you plug and promote your stuff? Well, like Patricia said at the beginning, I have my new Carter Corner review out of <laughs> Scooby Doo Shaggy Showdown. Going going over and just check that out. I even have a little giveaway of a little series box set of the original Scooby Doo. Where are you? So you can enter that as well as well as enjoy me ripping apart that terrible movie. Yay! <laughs> All right, how about you, creepy? I have my retrospective reviews channel, and it's funny that I'm doing this Scooby-Doo podcast today because there is something at long last related showing up soon. Hooray! That's Yay. awesome! Yeah! Uh, unenthusiastic, yay! Oh, no! <laughs> I can guess what it is! <laughs> oh, I am so sorry. Good luck to you. I will send you my sympathies. Okay, I'm done. Thank so, you. um, yeah, um, <laughs> that didn't last long. <laughs> uh, but seriously, though, I'm sorry, and I hope that I hope the best for you and Chibi. Just, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, um, by the time that this podcast comes out, I would have already posted my hour long discussion about if Disney's Doug is really that bad. So go check that out. <laughs> I put a lot of work into it. I discussed about the TV show. I discussed about the movie. And I discussed about some little tidbits and behind the scenes stories that you may or may not know. So yeah, please go check it out. I put in a lot of work into it. And um, next time on on the, um, you know on my video will be my top 10 Angry Beavers episodes. And then afterwards, I got a few other surprises coming up. So stay tuned. All right. So that's awesome. it. Oh, I'm, I'm really excited to show it off. So yeah, that's it for this episode of Casual Chats. Let us know in the comments below about how you first got introduced to Scooby-Doo, whether you got first introduced to it by the TV series or the movies or even the video games, which you didn't even talk about because I've never played them. Um, or if you guys want, you can share you know, who your favorite characters are, your favorite monsters. And um, yeah, and thank you so much for listening. Hope to see you around soon and uh, take care. Mystery machine